find where your audience hangs out or what they're doing or other things they listen to, that's an opportunity to do research on that micro level, like consuming what your audience consumes. So listening to their podcasts, that helps you develop a lot of the shared terminology. You can be really impactful in the way that you position your product, write your blog, all your marketing messaging. Social Pros listeners, we have an amazing guest. And I know that I say that a lot, but I am so genuinely excited. Today, we're talking to somebody who I get excited when I get their emails in my inbox. First off, I'm a massive fan of the platform. Second off, the absolute expert knowledge that they provide for free, which of course, as you all know, Convince and Convert is all about utility and giving away information. The amount of information that they provide is so amazing. You have to sign up for their newsletters. You have to go to their webinars. You have to read their blogs because it will literally help you become better at everything you do in social and digital marketing. And I'm so excited to pick her brain today because we have a lot that we want to talk about. Before we get into the show today, we highly recommend you go check out our amazing show sponsor, ICUC. They are experts in online and social media community management, and they're here to remind the world there are real humans behind brands. Communities don't manage themselves. It requires strategy, goal setting, and as Amanda will talk with us about today, and we'll talk about in more detail an understanding of your audience. Fortunately, the team at ICUC has a guide to help you think through community management. You can get a copy of that all for free at bit.ly slash ICUC community. And while you're there, you can schedule a free consultation with a member of their team. Again, that's bit.ly ly slash icuc community all one word lowercase and now this week's episode with amanda natividad at spark toro we have today the absolutely fabulous and amazing amanda natividad vp of marketing at spark toro amanda welcome to the show we are so excited to have you Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Anna. I'm so excited to be here. I really am such a genuine fan of Spark Toro. And we're not even getting paid by you all to say that. So this is not a sponsored podcast. It's a tool that I love. We use it at Convincing Advert. I pay for it personally with my freelance clients. So I'm, I'm a huge advocate of it. But also more than anything, I just so appreciate you and all the amazing knowledge that you provide to everybody and just um, it just, the passion that you all have for what you do is really, really clear. And I think, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but you have a very interesting background, which I love. Um, even though you are the VP marketing at Spark Toro, you actually didn't start off within the audience research digital marketing space. So tell us a little bit about your role today at Spark Toro and then sort of how you got there a little bit. Yeah. So at Spark Toro, I'm the only employee. So it's me. And the two co-founders, you know, Rand Fishkin and Casey Henry, I'm responsible for marketing and content. And, you know, we all have our hand in a little bit of product and, or in at least a little bit of product. Of course, most of the product is run by Casey and Rand. Uh, but, you know, also work in a little bit of customer support. So it's a pretty fun and well-rounded role where, you know, there isn't much monotony at all in the day-to-day. and. Yeah. I mean, that's the role today. So this is actually my third career marketing. Um, I started out in tech news journalism. I worked at some of the, some of the original tech blogs, um, paidcontent.org and gigaohm.com. I'm dating myself, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and then a couple of years into it, I just kind of 
realize I, you know, was looking for a career change. And that was when I decided to enroll in culinary school and become a food writer. But I didn't do any research into this industry. I just thought like, yeah, if I go to culinary school and maybe um, stage or work for free at a couple of restaurants, that'll be enough to like get some experience to write about it. But I just didn't realize how how small the job market was. If that really was the path for me, I think I would have figured something out. But, you know, you can only go so long without a job. <laughs> so that, that was when I started picking up some random freelance writing work, freelance social media work, like running a couple of restaurants, social media channels. And then I pivoted into content marketing at a food startup. So that was kind of how that started. Um, but I think the actual bridge between how I got into marketing or just getting into marketing and um, how a SparkToro plays a role in that today is a lot of what we do or like the core product at SparkToro is very representative of my approach to marketing as I was ramping up as a marketer. Like one, I didn't even know that people could get marketing degrees until like two years ago. <laughs> Like it was just something I never really thought about. I didn't know that that existed, that people could actually get like institutionalized, like like university training in marketing. Like I was like, is that, a, I didn't know that was a thing. I thought people just did this. Um, so one, so I didn't have formal training in marketing. And a lot of it was just me kind of learning things from other people, testing things, um, just figuring it out along the way. And a lot of it was through audience research, right? So a lot of it was understanding like any given target audience, understanding their motivations, um, what they were, how they talk, right? Other, their other sources of influence. Like this, this informed how I approached PR um, in my early days as a marketer and also approached my, you know, how I did content marketing, right? Like those were, those were the things that, were ultimately powered by audience research. I just didn't know it at the time. I thought it was just, it's called working hard. <laughs> I mean, you are a, a very, very shining example of a multi-hyphenate uh, career, career person. Uh, I, I envy a lot of the things you, you've had a chance to do. Uh, but I have to imagine, like, actually, the, your background as a, as a writer and as a journalist probably is more relevant to your, your work now in, in content and marketing than than it almost was even as a as a journalist. Uh, I mean, the the understanding of kind of the audience and how to write to them is so essential. And I don't know that I don't know that marketing is anything today but that. Like it's based on audience, what they need, what their motivations are, and that is pretty much what the job is now. So uh, you were setting yourself up. You just didn't know it at the time. You were setting yourself up for a career. At uh, ten years, fifteen years later, in in content it's, marketing, it's true, right? Like, it's so. It's, I think it's really interesting how you phrase that because it had me realize in my journalism days, like I, I wasn't a reporter. Like I was sort of behind the scenes producer, did some editing and um, stuff like that. But even in that role, I felt like I was more marketer than journalist. And then when I got into marketing, I felt like I was more journalist than marketer. Right. So they're like different instincts sort of kicked in at different times. But yeah. So one of the things that I think I love most is hearing you talk about this. I feel like it has absolutely shaped how you 
give advice in how you report out on what marketers need to know at SparkToro? Because of course, everybody is, I mentioned at the top of the show, listeners, there is an extensive library of uh, resources and insight and feedback and POVs from the SparkToro team. And specifically, Amanda, you really are kind of the, the biggest voice in there. And everything you provide is really approachable, really relatable. Like you break things down as you're going through the process. And I think one of the best examples that I saw of your style is actually your recent blog on Threads. Because of course, as of the time of this recording, Threads is really only like two weeks old. And it's kind of the big question of like, what do we do with it? And you provided this great breakdown on it. So can you walk us through sort of one current advice based on your experience and then to what SparkToro is doing as a brand with Threads right now. Yeah. Okay. So regarding Threads, maybe we can start with one, like why it's important, right? Like like what makes Threads kind of different, unique from all the other Twitter clones? Um, because one thing I do want to note is like, you know, over the past year-ish, right, we've we've seen a lot of sort of Twitter clones crop up. Um, I, I'll say it loosely, right? Because they're not all, they're not the same thing, but they're the same in the sense of being um, text, for, text first microblogging platforms, right? We have like Mastodon, Blue Sky. Um, there's, right, there are ones, I, I'm, a, I'm almost embarrassed to say them because I didn't use them, but there's like Hive and Spill. I haven't used those apps. I don't, not familiar with them at all, but I've heard those as brands that have kind of entered the sort of competitive space. So we've seen a lot of these different platforms emerge, but none of them have the scale that Meta has, right? So with Threads, just over a week later, there are over 100 million signups, right? And so where that's significant is if you look back at all the previous uh, social media platforms, the growth was a lot slower, right? Because again, they didn't have the same kind of critical mass as Meta has. So it took six years for Twitter to grow to 140 million users. Um, also six years for Snapchat to get to 160 million users. It took LinkedIn five years to grow to 13 million users, right? And it only took Facebook, or not Facebook, threads from the Facebook ecosystem just a couple days to reach 100 million. Of course, the next questions are going to be like, well, what does retention look like? How, what does daily usage look like? Of course, we can, we can keep an eye on those things and we should. But what's important to know is that this is actually a you know, formidable competitor in terms of like um, sheer time spent in the app. Or if we're, if we're thinking about competitor as where are people using their social media time, right? Um, so that's what's important there. And I think as marketers... It's kind of easy to be like, oh, what's the next new shiny thing? Like, oh, should we do that? Should we have a strategy here? What about that? Um, and I think it's good to think about that stuff, right? Like, I think what I've been seeing in the like marketing discourse, you know, since Threat Threads has launched, has been a lot of debate over like, should you have a strategy? Yes, no, it's too early to have one. Like, it it is too early to have like a real strategy, right? But I think we as marketers should be paying attention. We should have a point of view. We should, we should have some early hypotheses and like we can all be wrong and that, that's okay, right? So I think it's healthy to, 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 you know, talk about this stuff, to figure out our place in it. Um, 
And I think at the very least as a brand, maybe as an individual, but as a brand, we should be like claiming our company accounts, right? Set up the profile. There's no harm in that, right? Like it's going to, I mean, sure, like you're not going to, a good thing is you won't lose your handle. So at least you'll have it, but like it's an opportunity to just set it up. So I might even just say like, just do that. That's the strategy right now. <laughs> I have this funny situation. I have this funny feeling about, about threads because, um, and I, and I'm wondering how this could potentially influence how this thing evolves because uh, I kind of use my Instagram, it's my personal account. I don't, it's not like I don't ever post about B2B marketing on my Instagram. I, that's just not what I use that platform for. So my my Instagram handle is one I've had since since college. I know Anna, you kind of share the same dynamic. It's Lemonheads, like the candy. Uh, but spelled with like my last name. That's my that's my Instagram handle. So that is now also my Threads handle, and that's awkward because that isn't exactly how I want to show up professionally. Uh, although it's fine, it's totally cool. Um, people call me that. Also, I don't know what you're talking about. My handle is the super professional uh, Anna Banana Harak. So that's so funny. I mean these are these are really funny distinctions because I mean I have a very I guess I'll just say very biased. I mean, we all have our bias, but like a different point of view that is very much informed by my recent experience in Instagram, which is earlier this year, I, I created a public account and I still have my private one. And the private one is what I've been using for the past, like, I don't know, 10 years. And that has like, you know, my stupid jokes or like random content I share or like updates about my family, right? I don't, I don't post any of that on like my professional social media. But I more recently started the public facing one. Um, so like that one has kind of become, I mean, the, the public one is what is what I use for threads now. And like, that's kind of my, my, my Twitter. So it's easy. I think it's easier for me to be like, oh, yeah, this is like new Twitter. I still have my personal, but that's different. And I'm not, I'm not using my personal one on threads. Um, so I think what you both are experiencing is certainly like the what's more representative of what mo- more, most people are thinking, how they're using threads and how they're seeing it as a complement to what they already do on Instagram. And maybe there's even a disconnect of like, so what do I do with this now? Like, I'm not going to talk about B2B marketing to like my, my aunt, right? She doesn't care. <laughs> what I wonder if this, this question also is relevant to brands because some brands use their, their Insta in a different way than they use like their Facebook account. I mean, it, it may have like a f- different flair, a different personality and does that same thing translate does it have to is it the same even though it is the kind of the same audience on threads as on as on instagram is it really do people have the same expectation there and i don't think we know the answer to that yet but um if people kind of keep saying well it's a twitter replacement it's a twitter replacement well it's gonna have to i mean the audience is gonna have to behave a little bit differently right yeah yeah i think so and it'll be interesting to see like there are a lot of brands that I like to follow on Instagram as a consumer. Like uh, one that comes to mind is uh, Rothy's, right? Like their recyclable, like fashion brand. Like I don't, and I and I follow them on Instagram because I want to see their new styles. Like I want to look at the shoes and the purses. I don't know what I would want from them on Threads, aka a Twitter replacement. I don't. One, I don't, I don't think I would follow them. I think I would just be like, I don't want that content. 
or like I don't want to keep up with them in that way. Like I just want the pictures. I'm curious what I haven't I haven't actually looked and maybe I will do that while we're talking. I'm curious what Wendy's is doing on threads. Uh if if they're bringing their their trademark wit and sarcasm to it or uh if they're even on I don't know. I'll, I'll go look. There yeah, it's pretty much a Twitter strategy on threads, which I think works for them. And I think we're seeing a lot of brands, ah, you know, try to go that route, right? The well, Wendy's is like they're the queen of snark, right? I think other brands are doing something similar or they're just going the unhinged route of like nonsense. I am really curious to your point just about how people are going to be using threads. And I, I loved your point, uh, again, in your blog about just really the best strategy right now is to listen and learn and understand and see how people are using it. Because yeah, it's like, are people just going to make it a Twitter 2.0? Um, just on a different space. Like, is it, is also too, to what we've been talking about and going back to exactly SparkToro and data and research, like, are those numbers so huge just because signing up was like virtually almost like a one-click process? Or is it because people are that interested in it? Or are they just curious? So I think I really loved just like your final point in your blog about like, just listen and learn. Like, you don't have to like all of a sudden be this expert in threads like in two days, which by the way, as I mentioned offline, I I giggled at your uh, LinkedIn headline update, which is like uh, a marketer with 10 years experience in threads, because I do feel like it was literally like the platform wasn't even two hours old. And everybody was like, here's 101 ideas that you can do on threads right now to generate more engagement. I was like, whoa, hang, hang on, people. Like, let, let's slow roll this. We nobody knows what to do right now, um, which I find really fascinating. but. Again, just going back to that research and looking at the numbers and not taking those um, like at face value. I just love like the listen and learn approach rather than the like jump in to be the expert approach. Yeah. And, and I think like, I think the first couple of days of threads, like, I guess you could look at it two ways. Like on one hand, it was a good opportunity for brands, people, whatever, to test content, right? Or, or just to test out being there. But on the other hand, where I also would push back against that is, we know that the algorithm is changing like all the time. We know that like new features are going to get launched. So whatever you test on day two or whatever you tested on day two of threads most likely isn't even going to help you a month from today. And so it is a little bit of like, well, what is the point? You know, so I think there where there was where there is or was downside for brands. It, and, and this is like in hindsight and hindsight over the past week, not like. Now I know with my 10 years of experience, here's why I know this. Yeah, but I think that there's an argument to be made that any brand who was like going hard in the first couple of days shot themselves in the foot a little bit because they risked people muting and blocking them. Because, you know, as 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 users, you know, I'm sure you all, you all saw too, like there are a lot of people like me, right? A lot of us complaining about like this feed is chaos. Like, I'm seeing so much random stuff here. I don't want any of this content. I'm muting and blocking like crazy. And I think a lot of, there are also a lot of people early on, and I was saying this too, of like, just tr maybe just try to inform the algorithm. Like just mute mercilessly. If you don't want something, mute it. Get it out of, the, get it out of your feed. And if you were a brand who was going hard, right? Or just like, 
look, like if you're like a Wendy's, right? You have like a million followers. It might not matter. But very few of us have a million followers. So like if you're a brand who had like a hundred followers or like even a thousand, and if you were going hard on posting and risking pissing people off and getting muted and blocked, yikes, right? Like that's going to, that's going to hurt you, especially as you try to, as we, as you do ramp up seriously and you're like, okay, I kind of get threads now. It's been like three months. Here's what we're going to do. And you kind of risk maybe not even starting from scratch, but like maybe starting instead of from zero, you're starting from like negative 10, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I know that's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think this gets to like the question about, I mean, I'm sure a lot of, uh, of those in our social pros community are, are thinking about this and, and kind of confronting this with their, their bosses, frankly. Like, should, should I even be spending my team's time on threads? You know, is it worth it? Because um, like, I, I just saw a thing last week and I think Gizmodo that engagement has like, basically bottomed out it cratered it went from i don't know 50 percent at the beginning uh uh 50 spending like 20 minutes on the thing to basically zero <laughs> it, it's it cratered uh compared and it, it's difficult to sustain that kind of that kind of excitement enthusiasm of course it's understandable but like where is the good where is the balance should we now be adding threads monitoring to our workflows and how do we importantly like at some point, there will be the question in the next quarterly report about like, how do we measure this? And that is, I mean, that's a question that's that's true everywhere in the in the entire internet right now. So that's 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 not a unique question, but it is a question of like, is it an engagement thing? Is it a something else thing? Totally, yeah. And I think for I mean for brands, I think it's important to remember. There isn't even analytics yet, right? Like you can you can look at likes and look at comments and count them yourself. But, you know, if you were a CEO, do you really want your social media team to spend time counting likes? And if you do, like I'd question your judgment. No, but I mean, like, is that really a good use of anyone's time? Um, so I kind of feel like, if anything, perhaps more useful to the degree that an individual um, agrees with it, right? Because you could just be like, I don't like social media. And I don't want to be on threads. I think it's totally valid. But I also think it's valid for maybe a social media pro to be like, well, I'm going to spend some time on threads. Like I'm going to get, see if I can get some like intrinsic value out of using it myself. And then if I can apply that to the company strategy, that's great, right? Versus being like, all right, let's, Let's figure out the company content strategy for this thing that we can't properly like track any kind of value in, you know. And then we also know, right, that like uh, the problem with dark social is like a lot of referral traffic gets suppressed. And I have to imagine it's not that's not going to be too dissimilar from threads today. Um, and then what else? Like content isn't even searchable today. I mean, I think that's going to change, right, pretty soon. But like, it's not true today. It's not going to, it probably won't be true. I mean, tomorrow, it probably won't be searchable yet. So it's like, so you can't track it. You can't even search for it online. Um, there's no web app yet. So like, there are these things that haven't launched yet that, like, I'm sure these things will launch at some point, right? We I think we, we all kind of think that, but 
they haven't, right? So why force your team to spend too much time on this app? It's always tricky, especially with that sort of disconnect from the people at the top and no disrespect to people at the top. But, you know, when they see this sort of thing and have questions and they see an opportunity, but then the difference between like, you know, people who are actually boots on the ground and, and doing the work and measuring things and, and looking at, you know, the much more tactical implementation of the strategy and trying to bridge that gap. And I feel like a huge part of bridging that gap typically is analytics and reporting. But when there is no analytics or reporting, that makes it a little bit more difficult. But to add in even just another wrinkle into the layer of sort of reporting and analytics and like the whole big picture of how social comes together and connects and really plays into other channels that we're doing as well. In addition to threads, now um, everybody in social is going to have to grapple with a whole new version of Google Analytics and a whole different style of reporting. So to basically muddy the waters even more, now we're going to be looking at a platform where basically we can't really understand, like we're listening and we're learning, but there's no sort of like, quote unquote, official way to report on things. So in terms of even just listening and audience research best practices right now, Amanda, obviously you and SparkToro are all about audience research because obviously the platform is designed to do that and highlight insights. So how can people actually start understanding not just threads, but even looking at different ways to research audiences and uncover some of those things without having a lot of those like really formal platform analytics in place. Uh, how can we start to learn more about audiences when, you know, we don't have those traditional metrics to rely on? Yeah. So I think, I think it goes back to, you know, what, what we were saying about listening and learning, right? Like maybe that's the best thing we can do on threads right now. Listen and learn and lurk. Right. And I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting way to start to learn about our audiences on Thread specifically because I think the people who are fairly active and we can say fairly active is like maybe checking the app twice a day at least right I think it's an interesting opportunity to see what those people are doing and talking about and the you know the way they're the way that they're the language they're using right the tone in which they they communicate on Threads. I think that's super interesting. And I think where we where we have some good fortune here are is as marketers, we get, it's pretty easy for us to see other marketers on threads, right? And we can start to see like how they're using it. And I think that's interesting. So that's one. That's one kind of informal way, I think, to to do some audience research there. Um, and then aside from that, audience research more broadly, like you know, of course, you could use a tool like SparkToro to understand where your audience hangs out, what they talk about, the social accounts they follow, the podcasts they listen to, and so on. But you also don't have to do that, right? Like, you, there are other ways to do audience research. Like, for one, you could talk to your customers, right? You could talk to, um, you could do, sometimes, sometimes a case study call can kind of double as an audience research kind of session where you're learning more about your customer's behavior, the problems they're thinking about, how they're solving those problems. So that's one. Um, I also really like looking at customer support inquiries, right? Wh whether it's like, maybe if you have a call center, like listening to calls, joining calls, um, or reading the emails, reading the support tickets. Like for us, it's SparkToro. Like we, we get, we, 
that's the three of us all receive the customer support emails. Uh, we don't have a ticket system yet, so we just get it in our email. But like, that's one really good use of audience research for us because a good source of audience research for us because, yeah, we're talking to customers all day through that, but we're also talking to a lot of prospects, like people who are like, I don't understand what you do. Like, um, like this, this tool isn't giving me, you know, this tool isn't giving me all the influencers in my space. That's what I need. Right. And that's, that's good for us. Cause we, cause we're like, well, we're not a true, we're not like an influencer tool. Like we don't help you find influencers, although you can, you can maybe use us to find some of those, you know, so like that's an opportunity for us to clarify or even think, you know, about the product roadmap in the coming months, years, like, do we do something with this? So that's one. Um, and then I think when you also find where your, where your audience hangs out or what they're doing or other things they listen to, that's an opportunity to do like kind of what I call like research on that micro level, like consuming what your audience consumes. So listening to their podcasts and then that helps you develop a lot of the shared terminology that I think like where I think you can be really impactful in the way that you position your product, the way that you write your blog, you know, all your marketing messaging. Like when I think back to, when I think back to the days, you know, when I was at Fitbit B2B and marketed to HR and benefits leaders, a lot of what I did was consume the content that they consume because for me, it was like, well, I don't work in HR. Like I don't know that world. So how am I going to write a blog or any kind of content that resonates with them if I don't even speak their language? So it was important for me back then to to read their same magazines and be like, oh, like that's what they that's what they call this. Or like I'm trying to think of some like words or terminology that I kind of picked up on. But like when I like, like things I learned were like not actual jargon, but that HR professionals, that they see themselves as in the business of people. And I think once we started saying some of that in our marketing, more HR and benefits leaders were like, yes, that is what we do. Like that is what I think, of, that is how I think of my job. And that's not really something you can just think of as a marketer, like off the top of your head. Like that's, that's the thing you, you come up with as you get to know your audience better and you and you come to like, understand them and deeply respect them and what their problems are. I mean, it strikes fear into the heart of just about every marketing person I talk to that to, to think about going and talking to customers. Uh, so I think you just actually touched on that, like the next best thing, if you're not willing to talk to the customer, and that that can be scary. Uh, in fact, um, the next best thing is to hang out where they hang out and just kind of eavesdrop awkwardly and on their conversations and and see what you pick up uh, that will at least make your stuff appear a little bit more uh, relevant and germane to the conversation and the way they're talking about or want to be talking about the the work that they do. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your saying that because I also think that there there are also times when a marketer might feel like their hands are kind of tied. They're like, I can't just like go out and like look through our CRM and call a bunch of customers. Like, like, you know, like I, I actually think that fear is very real and understandable because I do think it's a, it's a little bit simplistic for 
people like me, right, or to say on social media and whatnot, like, talk to your customer. Like, I think we all agree with that in theory. And it's great to do when no one's questioning that. But to your point, like, sometimes it's, it's really hard. It's scary or, like, it's not accessible. Like, in a more mature organization where you have, like, I mean, not, maybe not even more mature, but it might even just be a sales-led organization where you have a CRM, sales is responsible for certain relationships. You as a marketer can't really just get in the CRM, pull up some info and start reaching out to people. Like, can't do that, right? <laughs> like, you're stepping on people's toes. You could mess up a deal. Like, you don't, like, no. You know, what you could do instead is like, uh, or kind of like in lieu of that, you could talk to your sales team, see if you can join a sales call, at least to shadow it. Like, those are some things you can do. Or like, even ask a sales team member, like, do you have a customer that you actually feel like really comfortable with who I could just have a friendly conversation with? And like, yeah, I know there's like social anxiety around that too. But like that, if if there's a friendly like in there, that could that could help, right? Versus like you just cold calling random customers, hoping that they're willing to talk to you and they won't slam down the phone. Like that's a very real and very understandable fear. Totally. It's, yeah, there is like a certain level of anxiety that comes with talking to your customers and like, but I think to your point, Amanda, like it is just, it's so unbelievably rich with ideation and even just understanding the language that they use so that you can use that back within, you know, social campaigns or even just like updates or even just getting a better understanding of how somebody uses your product or service and why, and then helping to reflect that within your own um, effort. Like there's just so much that can come out of even like a 30 minute conversation. And I agree, it really is the most overlooked opportunity to understand your audience. Obviously, I understand why there's only so much time in the day, but seriously, social pros, if you are not tapping into your audience interviews or interviews with your audiences in some way, shape or form, it really just like in 30 minutes, you can come up with a million ideas. It is so amazing. Um, so 100% wholeheartedly agree. I just want to say too, I wish we could take even more time to go into this uh, because there's still so much audience data that we can tap into, especially with SparkToro. And once again, we're not even being paid to say that. But um, Amanda, thank you so much for being on. Seriously, this was so much fun and just loved, loved, loved your fresh take and just waiting and listening and your dedication to understanding audiences because I think at the end of the day, we all need to take a step back and put ourselves in the shoes of our audiences and just take, like not be so quick to act all the time and recognize that it's okay to be patient and listen. So thank you for reiterating that on today, yeah. today's episode. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um. Okay, so of course, we want to make sure that we get to the final two questions. But before we do, Amanda, where can everybody follow SparkToro on uh, all of the social things? Yeah, so we're most active at this point on LinkedIn. So SparkToro on LinkedIn. We also do still have our Twitter account. You're also on Mastodon. And then on Threads and Instagram, we are SparkToro HQ. So you can also follow us there. Nice. Everybody go follow because they drop serious gold that will help you improve your social approach every single day. And then Amanda, your 
own social presences are crazy fun. And so I have to have everybody at least go follow you on LinkedIn because you post fun and funny stuff, but then also really genuinely helpful stuff. So where can everybody follow you um, on LinkedIn and then any other preferred channel? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, Amanda Natividad or Amanda Nat on all the socials, actually. So yeah, you should be able to find me pretty easily. Nice. Um, all right, everybody, go follow Amanda. She's amazing. Go follow SparkToro. They're amazing. And then, of course, Amanda, um, are you ready for your final two questions of the day? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. If you could give a piece of advice to anybody who wants to become a social pro, what would it be? It would be pick one social media platform and really try to understand it and get good at it and build some kind of following there. I'm not, you don't have to grow to like a massive amount or whatever, but grow it to a point where you feel like you're getting good traction. Because I don't, I don't think it's enough to say like, just go on social and try it out. I think it helps to go with the goal of like, no, grow to some kind of, to something. Like pick a niche maybe. I don't, I don't know what it is or whatever you want to do. Like get good at it and see if you can like get some good engagement going. And like maybe for, maybe if you are more inclined to be a writer or like, you're more comfortable with text, you know, the platforms like LinkedIn, Twitter, probably threads are good places to start. If you're more visual, then, you know, I think Instagram, TikTok, those are good places to get to get going. But yeah, I think pick one and actually get good at it. I love that because it takes some of the uh, it takes some of the fear out of like, I don't I, I can't possibly do all of the things I can only do one more thing. And that's barely, that's barely uh, doable. Um, I think that's a good, that's good advice. Yeah, it's very, very hard. So question number two, and I'm very curious how you're going to answer this as a multi hyphenate person, you have such a tapestry of, of humans that you could potentially tie into. But if you could have a video call with any one living person, who would it be? It would be Conan O'Brien. So Conan O'Brien is a comedian, right? Um, show host. And he's been probably like my longest running influence in my life. Like I think I, I discovered his comedy when I was like 11 or 12. And I was just like, this is the funniest person I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I followed his career from Late Night with Conan all the way to now with his podcast. And I mean, I haven't seen every single episode of all his shows but I did see like all the episodes of Late Night. Um, I've always appreciated his sense of humor, like the the way that he is. Um, well, one like his absurdist sense of humor that ultimately doesn't bring anybody down. Like I've, I've always been fascinated with that that he manages to stay relevant and be truly, truly hilarious and make everybody laugh without really putting anybody down. I think that's interesting. Um, and also just like how incredibly like intelligent and knowledgeable he is, you know, he's deeply into history, you know, arts and culture, I think is just an interesting person. And lastly, I mean, the way that he's been able to kind of reinvent himself throughout the different platforms, like, I do feel like he was kind of, um, early ish to being one of the mainstream celebrities who embraced podcasts. And um, I just think it's really cool that he's managed to like do new things throughout his career while also 
kind of honoring a lot of the historical platforms that he himself is a fan of, right? Like he himself as a fan of like radio, old radio shows and stuff has like kind of has run this successful podcast. And we now and like podcasts now or like a lot of them are basically like old radio shows, right? Where it's just like long form content and people talking. Um, and so I'm just fascinated with his career. I, you know, he's hilarious. I think he seems like a nice person. So, yeah. Ditto on Conan O'Brien. I I love I love just everything that he does. It, it's it's fun to watch and feels fresh. And that's really rare for uh, for someone who with his with his tenure kind of in his career that he it really is fun, just been fun to watch him evolve. All right. Well, uh, this has been, we could talk for hours about all things, uh, audience. I've, it's been a delightful conversation. Uh, social pros again, go follow Spark Toro and go follow Amanda. They genuinely do post some of the most, uh, positive and helpful things of any of the companies. And, um, when I see a webinar from them, I actually attend them, which is just saying something. So definitely keep an eye out. They have a lot of fun doing what they do. And that matters a lot. Uh, thank you for being part of uh, this week's episode. And we are excited to have you back for another episode on what we hope is your favorite podcast in the whole world, Social Pros. Social Pros.